The Trumpet Daily program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily program begins right now. America's comeback starts right now. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. This will not be my campaign. This will be our campaign altogether. Because the only force strong enough to defeat the massive corruption we are up against is you, the American people. So there he is, announcing uh, another run for the presidency. Last week, last week at this time, he's, he's finished. Everyone that he campaigned for lost. There was no red wave, and it's his fault. And here he comes, here he comes again, the comeback kid. Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago last night announcing that he will run for president and automatically, automatically, he becomes the front runner for the Republican Party. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining our growing audience. If you'd like to follow us for the live presentation every day, our website, of course, uh, presents this program at 11 a.m. in the central time zone of the U.S. every weekday morning. You can get to that at thetrumpet.com forward slash live. If you'd like to email the program, you can send feedback. We do have quite a bit of it piling high. Hopefully one of the next few programs we can get through some of those emails. That address, td at thetrumpet.com. And of course, we've been advertising America under attack. It fits in with so many of the themes we see in the news, especially here in the United States over the past uh, many weeks. The 800 number for the book, Operators are standing by. That number, 1-866-930-3024. So you know how the propagandists in the media are going to respond to uh, President Trump's hour-long speech, I guess a little over an hour last night. Uh, a more serious tone coming from uh, Donald Trump and, uh, of course, laying out the facts, what's happening to the United States today. He hearkened back to some of the policies that were successful during his first four years. Lots of interesting statements that tie in with so many of the things that we've been writing about at the Trumpet for the last several years as well. But this was the NPR's reaction. <laughs> and again, this is uh, not surprising. It says, Donald Trump, who tried to overthrow the results of the 2020 presidential election, and inspire, how about this for a fair and balanced headline? This is a headline. He tried to overthrow the results of the 2020 presidential election and inspired a deadly riot, a deadly riot at the Capitol in a desperate attempt to keep himself in power, has filed to run for president again in 2024. As I say, last week, and you see now, how so much of the, the hysterical coverage last week following the, the red trickle, as they called it, 
you see now how so much of it was just wishful thinking. They wish he would go away. They wish that he would just leave them alone, that we would never hear from him again. And yet here he is. He's back. He's ready for another run. And so this morning they're all saying, oh, what a loser. He keeps losing. He's won the presidency twice. And I suppose if it goes on long enough, we've wondered if there's some other means by which he comes back to power. But this is a man, you leave aside the midterms in 2018, this is a man who people have recruited to come campaign for them. They love to ride the red wave. And yet when uh, something goes wrong, or all of the communists in the, uh, the, the media start crying a foul, they, they're just so quick, as we've covered on this show in recent days. They're just so quick to surrender. Trump derangement syndrome is real. Alex Berenson, he tweeted out today. He's been on Tucker a lot. He's exposed a lot of the fraud behind COVID and the vaccines. And he used to work for the New York Times. So he, he likes Scott Adams, the tweet I mentioned from him the other day. They, they are from a liberal background. But still, they've seen so much corruption. They've seen the deep state attacks on Donald Trump. They've seen the lies and the deception about COVID and the vaccines. And Alex Berenson, he tweets today, I can't vote for Donald Trump under any circumstance. Think about that. We're two years out. There is no circumstance in his mind that, that would possibly motivate him to vote for Donald Trump. He says, and I can't leave my ballot blank again. I guess that's what he did last time. So I will vote Democratic in 2024 if Republicans nominate Trump. This is a man, Berenson. He's, he's literally in court right now trying to expose how that Twitter colluded with the Joe Obama White House to blot him out. And he says, there's no circumstances I'm going to vote for Trump. And I'm not going to leave the ballot empty. So if it's Joe Biden, even though he's trying to blot me out, even though he's trying to censor me, these authoritarians, these tyrants from the radical left, I guess I've just got to vote for the Democrat. As I say, Trump derangement, it is real. It is real. You make fun of Glenn Youngkin's last name, Scott Adams says, that's it for me. That's it for me. I'm out. I'm out. They love to see everyone pile it on Donald Trump. They love to see anyone and everyone going after Donald Trump, saying he's Hitler and whoever else. But the moment Donald Trump punches back, that's it. That's just, a, that's just a bridge too far for so many of these people. How do you explain this? The spirit of deception and lies is so thick in our world today. You really do have to. Thankfully, we do have the sword of the spirit, as it says in Ephesians 6. Of course, Hebrews 4 talks about it really cutting right through to the heart of the matter. That's what the Bible and, and the, those spiritual insights that God gives to us, that's why they're so important. That's why it's so important for us to stay grounded in these truths. So the reaction last night and this morning, so predictable. Donald Trump announces he's going to run again, and the heads of everyone in the legacy media, the corporate media, 
they simultaneously explode. Here's a sampling, clip 18. The reaction to the former president throwing his hat into the ring has been really interesting. You see even Murdoch led newspapers. Yes. That's a New York this Post. Is, you can barely see it. This is a New York Post. Do you see that? You can barely see it because it only says Florida man makes announcement. A historic moment in politics that comes despite multiple federal and state investigations, two impeachments inspiring the January 6 rioters and attempted coup and criticism over his role in Republicans' underwhelming performance in the midterms. Given all of these defeats, it is at once the most surprising thing and the least surprising thing in the world that Republicans are still considering letting Trump continue to lead their party. They really haven't figured this one out yet. This is the most desperate filing. This is the earliest announced presidential candidacy in history. But there are a number of people in the Republican Party who are going to start making clear that they think he is really bad for the party. This is not somebody who seemed like he's raring to go again. He doesn't seem happy. He just seems angry. But the problem is he's still there and he still has a chunk of the party. He'll burn the house down before he lets anybody else take the nomination for him. Do you think this is good for the Republican Party? No, I, I don't, because I think he's the only Republican who could lose. It was, there was a, an energy that was not there. It was so low energy that Jeb Bush called it low energy <laughs> on Twitter, which was... And hopefully that the election this past week shows that the country is actually turning a corner and you know, Donald Tr Trump's you know, days are going to be numbered. This is Donald Trump's attempt to run away from prosecutors. Uh, also, you might have heard yesterday that Donald Trump announced another run for president. Okay. Ahead of, uh, yeah. Wait, wait, why would he do that? It was like late at night. Because he keeps losing. This former... would be like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> the first year when they went 0-14 asking the NFL if they could have a couple of more games. Willie, I don't understand this. The big reason Trump announced his run is he fears criminal prosecution. He's a desperate man, a threatened and rabid animal who could face multiple indictments. He thinks running for president and the specter of violence from his fringiest supporters will protect him from the prosecutors. This is a wounded, wounded politician, isn't it? He is. Yes. So I think, you know, the Republican Party has a problem. They have to they have to fight Trump or let him self-destruct. It's just a Terrible, terrible Hobson's choice that the Republican Party faces. So there you go, a small sampling of the reaction right across the board. Trump, for his part, he really didn't even acknowledge the media, and there were a lot. International media at Mar-a-Lago last night. This is a big event. And the media, the overseas media, they know this. They know this is huge. Contrast it with Joe Biden at the G20 summit, the big banquet, and he has to bow out basically because it's, uh, well, let's put a lid on it at 8 p.m. And then uh, President Xi of China making a fool out of Justin Trudeau earlier today, just giving him a, a smackdown right in front of the cameras. It's not going so well for the Western nations of Israel at the moment. So the media, they, the international media, they turn out in droves. They want to get a piece of this announcement at Mar-a-Lago. And then there you have the propagandists going on and on about tired, yet low energy, uh, a wounded animal, a rabid animal. Really unbelievable stuff. Donald Trump talked about the direction of this country in these past two years. This is clip two. 
thinking under Biden and the radical Democrats, America has been mocked, derided, and brought to its knees, perhaps like never before. But we are here tonight to declare that it does not have to be this way. Two years ago, we were a great nation, and soon we will be a great nation again. The decline of America is being forced upon us by Biden and the radical left lunatics running our government right into the ground. This decline is not a fate we must accept. He basically, uh, besides using the term bitter affliction, uh, that's, that's basically what, he's, what he was getting into last night. He even at one point talked about the pause in his leadership. But just coming back to the bitter, bitter affliction, we've been writing about, about this for the last, uh, not, not just even the last two years, but since 2018, 2019, so bitter, this headline at American Thinker just this morning. Americans haven't suffered enough. And, and the president, Donald Trump, he basically alluded to that last night that, you know, it's not sinking in yet just how bad it really is. Listen to this uh, clip, clip three. The Republican Party should have done better. And frankly, much of this blame is correct. But the citizens of our country have not yet realized the full extent and gravity of the pain our nation is going through. And the total effect of the suffering is just starting to take hold. They don't quite feel it yet, but they will very soon. I have no doubt that by 2024, it will sadly be much worse, and they will see much more clearly what happened and what is happening to our country. The suffering's just starting to take hold, he says, and it's going to get worse. Sadly, it's going to get worse in these next two years. Now, this headline at American Thinker, Americans haven't suffered enough, it says, in this post-election haze, many conservatives are understandably confused. If the economy was such a high-priority issue and the Democrats were mostly responsible for the runaway inflation, why didn't the Republicans win more seats? Well, we've gotten into the why of it over the last several programs. Further on, it says, the cause of the election loss is relatively simple, in this man's mind. Americans have not suffered enough pain with this economy yet. Really, when you look into the numbers, I think it was Victor Davis Hanson that said that the, uh, the Republicans haven't won a majority of the vote since 1988. And this time around, just last Tuesday, five, six million more votes? It was a red wave. There, again, there was cheating in strategic locations, but there was a red wave. People are beginning to feel it. But as Donald Trump brings out, and even this American Thinker piece, it is going to get worse. And when you talk about bitter affliction, we were even talking about this with the, the students last Wednesday following the midterms. Just the day after it, I opened it up for their comments, and a couple of them made this point. Perhaps the, the affliction has to be even more bitter and oppressive before Americans will really wake up en masse. This is from America Under Attack, our, our book. It's over here somewhere. There it is. Page 44, it says, For the Lord saw the affliction, this is quoting 2 Kings 14, The Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter, not bitter, very bitter, for there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. 
That's 2 Kings 14 and verse 26. And then my father says this, the Farrar Fenton translation reads, for the ever-living pitied the immeasurable miseries of Israel, both without and within, when there was no ease for Israel. The immeasurable, the immeasurable miseries. How much worse is it, go- is it going to be? How much worse will it get? Well, it's pretty strong language in 2 Kings 14. It says, the Bible shows that anciently God raised up the kingdom of Israel to represent him. Satan attacked that nation in every way that he could. History shows that at one point in the 9th century B.C., an enemy almost completely destroyed it. But God intervened. God intervened to save Israel. Even in the midst of this, this bitter affliction, these immeasurable miseries, Further on, it says, Israel was in bitter affliction on the verge of being blotted out of existence. There was an effort to blot out the name of Israel, a very satanic goal. It says Satan hates everything God is about, everything God's about, and wants to destroy all that he does. Further on, my father says, during this period of Israel's history, had God not intervened, the devil's plan to blot out the name of Israel would have prevailed. You see it in the hysterical reaction to anything and everything that Donald Trump does. He says later on in the speech, I have the clips, we'll get to them later. But, you know, why, why would I put my family through this? Ivanka didn't even go last night. She basically sent out a note and said, you know, I support my father in every respect, but I'm, you know, I'm done with politics. Melania didn't look so happy last night either. She, she looked pleasant. She looked supportive. But, but, but some within the family, within the inner circle, have to be wondering, do we have to go through this again? Look at what they've done to us for six years. Look at the persecution, the vicious attacks that this family has been the recipient of for years, for six years now. Here's Donald Trump again talking about the bitter affliction and America today, after this attack that resulted in a, an election steal in 2020, clip eight. I will ensure that Joe Biden does not receive four more years in 2020. Our country could not take that. And I say that not in laughter. I say that in tears. Our country could not take four more years. It can only take so much. It's all very fragile to start off with. It can only take so much. In 2020, I received the largest number of votes of any sitting president in history by a lot. And we will do it again, but with even more votes this time. The country couldn't take four more years of this. My father's spoken recently about whether or not it can even manage to take two more years of the Joe Obama administration. Then he, this is really interesting to me, I don't know if he uses the word. Well, yeah, he uses the word pause, which when you consider Amos 7, and I'll come to the America under attack a quote, uh, attack quote here in just a second. But first listen to what Donald Trump said about this period between his first term and then his comeback, clip four. And one of the beautiful things of the pause, if there is such a thing as a beautiful thing, but one of the, the important factors of the pause is that we see how bad they've done. 
So we will be able to do it properly, and it will be much easier. Everybody will agree with us, because everybody sees what a bad job has been done during this two-year period, and it will be a four-year period. Everybody sees that. It will be much easier for us to do what has to be done. Interesting that he calls the Joe Obama years a pause in his rule or in his presidency. This is from America Under Attack. It says, God already used President Trump once to save this nation from what Antiochus was doing. Now Obama, through Joe Biden, has returned with a vengeance. But the rest of the, this prophecy in Amos 7, I'll leave it to you to study through that more. Hopefully you have America Under Attack and you can go back. This is around about uh, page 132, 133. Um, the, the rest of this prophecy in Amos 7 shows that that will not last, this attack. This, this, this attack coming from Joe Obama. Amos 7 prophesies about end-time Israel, which is today most prominently the U.S. superpower. It is clearly about the very end of the nation. It shows that at that time, Jeroboam is not only in power, but he's wielding kingly authority. Notice this. It says, if you read through this prophecy, there appears to be no break in Jeroboam's reign. It doesn't describe his presidency being lost and then somehow being restored. Why is that? Because in God's view, Donald Trump never lost the presidency. In God's view, Joe Biden is a fraud. In God's view, the election was stolen. That's true. That's true. And these people ignore the elephant in the room. Oh, Donald Trump, he, he's re recommended these candidates and they keep losing. Well, in the case of Arizona or, or, or Pennsylvania, they're losing to basement candidates because they're rigged. The elections are rigged. And there's some in the Republican Party. Actually, there's a lot in the Republican Party that didn't learn the lessons from 2020 because we were told, just move on. Hopefully, it'll go better next time around. Well, as I said, even with respect to last week, you do have to wonder what Trump is thinking, what Donald Trump is thinking about the prospects for even winning an election in 2024. Certainly with respect to states like Pennsylvania and Arizona and Michigan, Michigan just passed into law basically that no, no ID needed. I mean, everything's just exactly the way the radical Democrats want it. It would be impossible for a Republican to win when it's basically anything goes. And they, they get through all of this chaotic counting and glitches, and, the, and then they tell you it's perfect. This morning in uh, Epistles class, we went through 1 Corinthians 14, where it says that God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of confusion and chaos. Who is? God is the author of decency. What, what's done with God is done in decency, in order, there's structure. You have to have rules. You have to have standards. This is exactly what the radical Democrats want to chuck out the window. Because then they know as long as it's mass mail-in ballots, as long as the, the ballots are just being sent out everywhere, and we've got all of our machines in place, and, and you don't have to have voter ID, none of that, we'll win every time. You can know you can know it was stolen in Arizona by just looking at the, the chaotic environment from the last seven days and what happened on the very morning of Election Day with all of those tabulating machines malfunctioning. And, and there are reports, by the way, that the machines were malfunctioning after a technician came to just check things out. 
So the technician, whoever, whoever that was, maybe Hillary Clinton in disguise, the technician comes and then the machines don't work. At least they don't work for a period of hours. How many Republicans, how many Republican votes were suppressed? So the election was stolen. God doesn't see this, this, uh, this presidency, this, the, the current occupant of the White House. He doesn't see him as legitimate. And you can see that brought out even in the prophecy of Amos 7. Now, there's more detail about the attack in 2 Kings 14, how that Jeroboam has to war to recover what was stolen. But there's nothing about the steal in Amos 7. It's almost like there's just a little pause, as Donald Trump said last night, a little bit of a pause in his rule, and then he comes back. This is, uh, again, from Mar-a-Lago last night, clip 5. Together, we will be taking on the most corrupt forces and entrenched interests imaginable. Our country is in a horrible state. We're in grave trouble. This is not a task for a politician or a conventional candidate. This is a task for a great movement that embodies the courage, confidence, and the spirit of the American people. This is a movement. This is not for any one individual. And it's not for the weak of heart, either. You're, gonna have, you're going up against a lot. He's led the way courageously. He's fearless. He's willing to stand alone. And there's a lot of people in his movement that are staying with him because they know, they know he has the courage to stand up to the deep state, a, a deep state that wants to destroy this man. This is why they, they plot fake kidnappings. This is why the FBI agents are out front in the January 6th protest, leading the charge into the Capitol, because they want to destroy Donald Trump. This is why the reaction was just immediate following the midterms last week. Even before all the results were in, it's no red wave. It's Donald Trump's fault. So predictable, isn't it? And then the reaction to last night's speech, even Fox News, to say Florida man, is running, well, not Fox News, but it's, it's Murdoch's paper, the, the New York Post. So this time around, he goes, he's going for the presidency. He doesn't even have loyal support at Fox News. He is going against the entire establishment. And people still turn out in droves. I mentioned the persecution aimed at his family, not just him, everybody in his family. At one point last night, it was, pretty, it was a moving moment when he had his son get up and, and talk about how, well, the son didn't talk about it, but he mentioned how that his son Eric had been subpoenaed all these times. How many times has Hunter Biden been subpoenaed? Listen to this from last night, clip nine. I didn't need this. I had a very nice, easy life. It's a, this is something I didn't need, and a lot of you people don't need either, but we love our country. We have to take care of our country. We have to save our country. Anyone who truly seeks to take on this rigged and corrupt system will be faced with a storm of fire that only a few could understand, right? I happen to have some children in the front row. They, they understand. In fact, my one boy, stand up, Eric. I think he got more subpoenas than any man in the history of our country. So unfair. Al Capone, you all heard of the great gangster? Al Capone got far less. Billy the Kid got almost none. Jesse James, no. 
Eric Trump got more subpoenas. He's, he's a PhD in subpoenas. They come from Congress. They... And I appreciate the job you do and the abuse that you've taken. It's amazing that he can even joke about it a little bit because there has to be a lot of pain coming from this vicious abuse. But this is the way the, the deep state operates. Look at the charges or lack thereof on Rudy Giuliani. Remember the big show of it? Oh, the FBI raiding his, his apartment, his office, taking all of his devices. Rudy Giuliani, he's going to prison. And then, well, now Republicans gain control of the House, including the committees, the investigative committees. And so now the FBI's got to backtrack a little bit, clean up the Rudy Giuliani, announced this week that there's no charges, no charges. So the pre-dawn raid on Rudy's property, just helping yourself to all of his devices, you have everything and the insinuations. Ukraine over here, yeah, he was just doing all these double dealings. He was a secret agent for some other country. You get all his devices and you don't have one shred of evidence of wrongdoing? Yeah, that's right. You think, the, you think Joe Scarborough is going to lead on his program with the fact that no indictment for Rudy Giuliani. They raided Donald Trump's home. I'm not saying there won't be indictments there. They're desperate for indictments. But it's interesting what's happened over the last seven days or so as uh, some in the deep state now realize, uh-oh, you mean some of these Republicans are going to now control the committees? You mean some of these Republicans are, are going to now have subpoena power? We'll see just how much courage they have to hold these criminals accountable for their actions. Vicious abuse at Eric, at Don Jr. No wonder Ivanka doesn't want any part of it, at least politically. It's really pretty sad to see this kind of attack on a man who's just been, as I said the other day, he's a successful uh, businessman. He's built a lot of beautiful, beautiful properties around the United States. He's helped a lot of people. He's employed a lot of Americans. And even the four years as, as president, it, it was a, until COVID took him out, and that was an attack from communists, until COVID basically ground everything to a halt, he had a pretty good record. As he said last night, I, I kept my promises. Think about all of the politicians, you know, the ones that are conducting misinformation seminars this week. The former presidents that promise one thing. I'll move the embassy to Jerusalem. Oh, yes, that's a good campaign promise. And then they get into the, the White House and they forget all about it. They lie. Ivanka doesn't even show up. She had a nice note to explain why. But she doesn't want to be viciously attacked. She's got small children, so she just wants to stay on the sidelines this time around. You would think there'd be more in the media that would even report a sympathetic story on that for a moment. But oh no, it's, it's all about politics of destruction. It's not enough to beat him at the ballot box. You've got to destroy him. And he just keeps coming back for more. Unafraid. Unafraid. Listen to what he's going up against. I think this might have gotten the biggest applause line of the night, or if not this one, one that's a little bit later in my notes. This is clip 10. But as I have said before, the gravest threats to our civilization are not from abroad. 
but from within. None is greater than the weaponization of the justice system, the FBI and the DOJ. We must conduct a top-to-bottom overhaul to clean out the festering rot and corruption of Washington, D.C. And I'm a victim, I will tell you. I'm a victim. Think of it. Uh, the FBI offered $1 million to Christopher Steele, who wrote the fake dossier. Top-to-bottom overhaul of what, what did he say? The, the festering rot and corruption of Washington, D.C.? He knew it was bad going in in 2017, but he didn't know the half of it. Christopher Ray was testifying before one of the House committees yesterday. And you know the reports of this week, the New York Times reporting that, well, actually there were, there were eight FBI agents or informants in there with the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers, one of the two. They, they were out front storming the Capitol. And that's conveniently timed as well, isn't it? The New York Times having to get out in front of what these Republican committees will no doubt turn up. Now the major media says, you know, that point about conspiracy theorists saying that there were FBI agents leading the charge? Well, there is a little bit of truth to that. Listen to this exchange between Representative Higgins and Christopher Wray. This is the FBI director, and Wiggins, or Higgins is asking him, about all of these informants that were in the mix on January 6th, clip 16. Did the FBI have confidential human sources embedded within the January 6th protesters on January 6th of 2021? Well, Congressman, as I'm sure you can appreciate, I have to be very careful about what I can say about when Even are, now, because that's what you I, told us two I years finish? ago. May I finish? Uh, about when we do and do not, and where we have and have not used confidential human sources. Uh, but to the extent that there's a suggestion, for example, that the FBI's confidential human sources or FBI employees in some way instigated or orchestrated January 6th, that's categorically false. Did you have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters inside the Capitol on January the 6th prior to the doors being open? Again, I had to be very careful. It should be a no. Say. Can you not tell the American people, no, we did not have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters positioned inside the Capitol. Gentlemen's time has expired. You should not. Hmm, FBI agent. Christopher Ray there, uh, saved by the bell, right? The representative has it right. It should be no, shouldn't it? Did you have FBI agents dressed as Trump supporters and remember how they're framing this, right? This was 9-11. This was Pearl Harbor. And there were FBI, there were Ray Epses all over the place. If this was a violent insurrection, an attempted overthrow of the government, why didn't the FBI agents there, in the midst of it, try to stop it? They were leading the charge. They were working their way into the Capitol before the doors even swung open. They were inciting the riot. And notice how he very forcefully comes on and says, if you're suggesting we instigated it, we categorically deny that. Well, but did you have all these agents here? Well, I, I'm sure you can appreciate that we've got, to, we, we've got confidential sources, so there's only so much that I can say. You should say no. Remember, the, the, the New York Times, when reporting on it, said that they were there, and, and questions are now arising about what they learned 
So what exactly are they trying? If they're dressing up like Trump supporters, if they're, if they're working their way into the Capitol, breaking windows or however, however they did it, there's people on video, on video that haven't been arrested, unidentified, unidentified agents or Antifa or Trump support, whoever they were. You know about grandma that's in prison, but there's ones that were actually causing damage, that were actually carrying out vandalism that have still, they're like Ray Epps, living in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, I guess. These people have a lot to answer for. And perhaps we'll find out more when you get, uh, hopefully they keep the January 6th committee, but that they just populate it with some hardcore Republicans who really hold their feet to the fire, Chris Ray and the others. You look at where their focus is. Julie Kelly wondered if uh, Representative, uh, what's his name, Higgins, he's probably seen the footage. He knows, he knows you have these suspicious actors who are dressed like Trump supporters who haven't been arrested. No indictments for them. So he's seen the footage. And, and I'm sure there's probably quite a few in the deep state who are worried. You know, Nancy Pelosi, she kept the lid on all the footage from the, uh, the January 6th protest day. If Republicans control that committee or another committee like it, maybe we'll see more footage. And maybe these, these traitors will answer for their crimes. Listen to the, just look at this exchange to see where the focus of your FBI is, if you happen to be an American, clip 17. Mr. Ray, um, I, I read in your testimony you consider domestic violent violent extremists to be the greatest threat to, um, to our, you know, health and, and well-being here in the United States. Do you, do, you, do you stand by that? Well, let me just make a slightly finer point on it because precision is important here. The greatest threat to us in the homeland is lone actors in small cells, typically radicalized online, using easily accessible weapons against soft targets. That group includes two categories, both domestic violent extremists and homegrown violent extremists, which are foreign terrorist inspired. So they're very similar, but it's two big buckets. Do you, do you know how many, how, many, how many fatalities we had in 2020 from, uh, from DVEs? I know that in 2020, uh, the most lethal attacks or the, la the lethal attacks that we had came from what we categorize as anti-government, anti-authority violent extremism, which includes both anarchist violent extremism as well as militia violent Yeah, I think I read there was something like four. Do you know how many people die per day from fentanyl overdose? I don't have that figure. Would, I, would, I, would it shock you to say that over 200 die daily from fentanyl overdoses? I, I know the numbers are eye-popping. Who is pouring in this deadly drug into the United States? Uh, transnational criminal organizations, uh, especially the cartels. Which ones? From where? Uh, typically from Mexico. Would you consider that to be a terrorist act? Well, I certainly consider it to be a major, major law enforcement threat and a major, major security threat whether I would call it a national security threat, gets into sort of terminology. So an organization that's killing over 200 Americans every single day, you have difficulty in saying that they're not terrorizing us? Well, again, in my world, 
terrorism has a very specific legal definition. It is certainly a national security threat. Four for the entire year of 2020, dying from domestic violent extremists. But with fentanyl, just pouring across the southern border, 200 Americans dying every day, every day. You can see where their focus is. This is the number one threat that we're facing. Domestic terrorism. And meanwhile, the borders are just open to filth, to violence, to drug addiction, and it's killing us. There was one congressman that asked him about the, his funding at the FBI and calls for defunding the FBI. He says, hey, we're low on resources. We actually want to up the budget this next year by about a half billion dollars. They need more resources at the FBI so that they can persecute Donald Trump's supporters, so that they can carry out these vicious attacks, whether it's faking crimes, like in the Whitmer case, or the January 6th protest. It's fake. Call it what it is, a fake insurrection. They created it. They created it. They incited it because they want you to believe that the greatest threat facing anyone right across the entirety of the United States is homegrown terrorism. Not the violence that's just pouring across the border. Never mind that. Here again, they can't even really give a good answer. This was a story from the Associated Press on the... Uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency, uh, speaking of drugs just pouring across the, uh, the border, it says, DEA's most corrupt agent, parties sex amid unwinnable war, says Jose uh, Irizarry accepts that he's known as the most corrupt agent in the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration history, admitting he became another man in conspiring with Colombian cartels to build a lavish lifestyle of expensive sports cars, Tiffany jewels, and paramours around the world. But as he used his final hours of freedom to tell his story to the AP, uh, Irizarry says he won't go down for this alone, accusing some long-trusted DEA colleagues of joining him in skimming millions of dollars from drug money, laundering stings to, to fund a decade's worth of luxury overseas travel, fine dining, top seats at sporting events, and frat house-style debauchery. He says, look, I may be going down. I may be taking a hit for this, but this, uh, you know, there's lots of others engaging in this kind of activity. Notice this. Notice this later on in the, this is the Associated Press. It quotes him as saying, you can't win an unwinnable war. DEA knows this, and the agents know this, Irizarry said. There's so much dope leaving Colombia, and there's so much money. We know we're not going to make a difference. The drug war is a game. It was a very fun game that we were all playing. They couldn't win the war, so they joined the other side. This is, the, this is another government agency, just rife with corruption. And if they're like Chris Ray, they want more funding. And Donald Trump's response to this is, we've got to drain this swamp. We've got, to, we've got to dismantle this deep state. He's the only one with the courage to attempt this fight. You could argue how successful it was for the first four years. You look at what he was going up against. 
But it's like my father said in Great Again, he does a pretty good job of seeing the evil for sure. Listen again to what he said last night, clip 11. We will dismantle the deep state and restore government by the people. To further drain the swamp, I will push for a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on members of Congress. It's time. And I will ask for a permanent ban on taxpayer funding of campaigns, a lifetime ban on lobbying by former members of Congress and cabinet members. Now I see what they make. They leave the White House or they leave Congress and they're paid millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. No, you have to have a ban. We want a ban on members of Congress getting rich by trading stocks with insider information. And many of our great members agree with that. You see why they, they hate him? Dave Chappelle, the comedian, he was on Saturday Night Live over the weekend. And regarding Donald Trump, he said, you know why a lot of people in America like him? Is because he, he came out of the system that was basically every man for, for himself. He knew, he knew how to play the game. He knew how to get the politicians on his side with this, with this lease that he needed or this, uh, this license to build or whatever it was. He knows. He knows. He comes out in 2016 and he says, you know, there's corruption top to bottom. And I, I want to drain the swamp. I'm going to pay for my campaign on my own. I'm not even going to take a salary. These people are going off to D.C. and they get filthy rich. And then they, it continues after they leave office. They continue lobbying and they make their millions, millions more. Sickness from head to toe. And then now they're having some pretty good success in rigging the election system so that they never have to leave office. So many of these radicals. And again, it's not just the, the radical left. It's the uniparty. He's a threat to the establishment. So he's attacked from both sides, as we saw clearly last week. Listen to what he says about the election process in the United States, clip 12. We will do whatever it takes to bring back honesty, confidence, and trust in our elections. To eliminate cheating, I will immediately demand voter ID, same-day voting, and only paper ballots. Only paper ballots. Just like they do in quite a few other Western countries who know, who know that mail-in ballots just open the way for fraud on a mass scale. This was from Just the News the other day. Election machines reported more votes than physical ballots cast in two precincts in an influential Virginia county, raising concerns about election administration in midterms after the county's former registrar was charged earlier this year with multiple election-related offenses. In Prince William County, one of Virginia's most important electoral counties, at least two precincts, so this is just a very small sampling, just two precincts, had more ballots reported on the machine scanners, tallies of ballots, than were tabulated by election officers. According to a report by Electoral Process Education Corporation, a nonprofit that, perf a nonprofit that performs election data analysis. So here's one honest actor who's coming forward saying, ah, uh, yeah, the machines made a mistake. It says, in P612, the ballot scanner reported 531 ballots scanned, but only 504 ballots were actually collected in the machine. So it counted, what, 27 more votes than were actually brought to the machine. 
Election officers realized a discrepancy when comparing the check-ins on the poll books to the number of ballots the scanner had reported. These are uh, election officers who saw the discrepancy and then uh, sounded the alarm. How many election officers, though, would just keep it quiet? I mean, they're all over the country. And like, Bar like Barack Obama said in 2008, I mean, in the case of Ohio in that, in that instance, if, if they control the machines, they're in good shape, the Democrats. The issues were documented by election officers with the General Registrar Electoral Board, and uh, the information was recorded in the official statement of results and chief's notes. It says election officers hand-counted the ballots according to election procedures multiple times. The outcome was 27 more votes on the machine tallies than physical ballots. And who do you suppose the votes benefited? Wait for it. Just wait for it. A total of 22 of those votes were for the Democratic candidate. Three for the Republican and two write-ins. It's a small sampling, but yet again, percentage-wise, overwhelming, overwhelming in its favor for Democrat candidates. Isn't that amazing? It's like that story plays out all the time, doesn't it? When have you heard a story like this where it actually benefited the Republican candidate? And these were close races in Virginia that many thought that many thought Republicans would win. You wonder if you get a report on every single one of the precincts, how many are there? Hundreds, no doubt. It makes a difference when you're talking about just a, a few thousand votes separating the candidates. Donald Trump says last night we need to get rid of the machines and just go to same-day uh, voting, paper ballots, count them that night, and be done with it. Now, that's, that's like 1 Corinthians 14 says. That's doing things decently and in order. That's removing the chaos and the confusion like we saw coming out of Maricopa County for seven days. You know they're up to no good when it stretches out for that long. Never mind the officials that come to the cameras, that rush to the cameras and say, everything's perfect. Yeah, we counted fast. Listen to Donald Trump again from last night, clip uh, 13. They spend all of the money for machines and all of this stuff, and they end up two weeks later, three weeks later. By that time, everyone forgot there was even an election. It's horrible. And this doesn't happen. I said it before. It doesn't happen in third world countries. They do better than we do. It's horrible what's happening with our election and election process. It's worse, actually, in the United States, as he says there, than it is in third world countries just to step back and look at the bigger picture here for a moment. Listen again to him talk about the, the dark and vicious forces that he and his movement are going up against in this third run for the presidency, clip 14. We will be resisted by the combined forces of the establishment, the media, the special interests, the globalists, the Marxist radicals, the woke corporations, the weaponized power of the federal government, the colossal political machines, the tidal wave of dark money, and the most dangerous domestic censorship system ever created by man or woman, the most dangerous system we've ever had. We will be attacked. We will be slandered. We will be persecuted, just as I have been. I mean, I have been, but many people 
in this room have been. But we will not be intimidated. We will persevere. We will stand tall in the storm. We will march forward into the torrent. And we, in the end, will win. Our country will win. We will win. Pretty encouraging words there from someone who's unafraid. He's, he's unafraid of the torrent. He stands firm in the midst of the tempest. He stands strong. You've got to give him some credit for that because everything he listed off there that, that he's going up against is true. It's true. Look at the way they, they react right away. And, and then losing Rupert Murdoch. It, just like with Tom Berenson, uh, Rupert Murdoch is, is basically saying, under no circumstances can I show support for Donald Trump. Not even two I can say this firmly. Two years out, it doesn't matter what changes between now. If, if it gets so much worse, if the affliction gets so much more bitter between now and 2024, I still can't vote for Trump. I mean, he made fun of Glenn Youngkin's last name. I can't do it. A lot of people are saying that. It's going to be National Review comes out, Anthony McCarthy, all of them. No. That was the title of McCarthy's piece. No. I can't do it. When have people ever reacted to any politician running for office this early in the game? With these kinds of hysterical, nonsensical, deranged comments. Trump derangement syndrome is real. They want to wish him away. They hyperventilate like they did last week at this time. He's finished. He's done. We'll never hear from him again. And then he comes right back and he says things like what you just heard there. Listen to one final comment from Mar-a-Lago last night, clip 15. And I am asking for your friendship and your prayers of this very incredible but dangerous journey. If our movement remains united and confident, then we will shatter the forces of tyranny and we will unleash the glories of liberty for ourselves and for our children and for generations yet to come. America's golden age is just ahead. Don't forget about America Under Attack. Really does uh, give you everything that we've covered on this program today and much, much more. The 800 number, 1-866-930-3024. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. We'll see you tomorrow.